Welcome to After the Bell with your host, Laura. This podcast is a series of conversations with educators, leaders, and lifelong learners with the hope of deconstructing some of the stereotypes around education. My objective as a teacher is to focus on the passion, humanity, and hope around education and to provide a platform for the myriad of voices that have something to say and teach us all. If you would like to know more about me, please head to my Instagram page at educatinglaura. Hello everyone, thank you so much for deciding to spend a little bit of time with me today. This episode is being released on the 30th of August 2021. We did get the confirmation yesterday that the Victorian 6.0 lockdown is being extended and I don't think anybody is surprised. And I think everybody is probably expecting a further extension based on the numbers and what is going on in the state at the moment. You will notice by the title of this show that there are several things that we are going to be discussing Eco teams and the environmental focus that is going on at the school that I teach at based on student advocacy and an incredible teacher that is supporting student voice. So the two people that I have on today are Brendan, a colleague of mine, geography teacher and head of the environmental movement, I suppose, at the school that I work at and the president of the eco team, Michaela, who I also happen to teach in my year 12 English class. And I love having student voice on. And this is such a lovely opportunity to speak to this student and educator that are working so closely together to make real change in our small school environment. And also beyond that, as Michaela has many interviews with really prominent environmental figures and researchers, scientists, environmentalists on YouTube that she is putting out there into the world and I think is making really great change. And I would like to mention that Brendan makes this comment, this off-the-cuff comment about the fact that, you know, he really doesn't care, you know, in remote and in teaching and he sort of comes across like that. And I think that you'll see that through this conversation, he does care. It's just that he perhaps doesn't show that in the most earnest of ways, but I think the way that Michaela speaks about him and the way that he advocates for student voice is, well, I think it really sums him up as an educator and it's exactly why I have him on the show. The other thing I wanted to mention is that this is the most chaotic recording I have ever had. And although I have edited it to a degree, I decided to leave parts of it in. The main reason is because this is so reflective of what my teaching has been in lockdown. We recorded this at night at about eight o'clock and my daughter woke up and came down and interrupted the podcast several times. Brendan's power goes out somewhere throughout the episode, which we kind of have a giggle about. And we just persevere because that is what lockdown 6.0 is and every lockdown is. And if you are in lockdown, New South Wales, you will be empathizing with me. And you know what? Everyone at this point, I think, has had a lockdown experience where you'll go, yep, I get it. I get that chaos. And I was just very grateful that the people that were being interviewed during this time were people that know me and know that I am somewhat professional when I try. And oh, the other thing, Brendan makes a comment to me that he always has a go at me using like plastic Tupperware when I come into school, which is true, which is true. And I just wanted to say that I have now got all metal cutlery that I bring into work, which is we have to now because of COVID and also have brought in all my own ceramic bowls and things like that. And it's a funny thing, isn't it? It's not any harder to do that. 
and that little change that I've made that for some reason I had been resistant to doing because I had all the plastic Tupperware, I've now done and it's made no impact to my actual organization. It's actually probably a bit easier. And just wanted to let you know that I have actually made that change and Brendan getting on my back about it has actually created progress in my small little life here somewhere. So anyway, we have lots to talk about. If you would like to support the show, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, follow on Spotify or whatever other podcast app you're listening to. Share the podcast, tag me at Educating Laura. Otherwise, you may like to buy me a virtual coffee if you're enjoying and want to give back to the podcast. Information is in the show notes. Otherwise, sit back and enjoy this episode. It's a lot of laughs, a bit of chaos and some real passionate people. Hey, Brendan and Michaela, how are you going? Good. Good. How nice are to you? see you, Laura. Good to see you with all this remote stuff. Yeah, it is. Can I ask both of you, how have the last 200 days of Victorian lockdown been and how has it impacted your teaching and learning? I might start with you, Brendan. How has it impacted my teaching and learning? Well, it's uh, certainly a lot more difficult to assess students and to give them genuine feedback and to give them instantaneous feedback. I'd say that's probably the number one problem with it. It's definitely made it harder. Certainly not an enjoyable thing. How are you finding it from the other end, Michaela? For me, it's difficult. Definitely impedes a lot on my mental health, which means it makes it a lot more mental effort and emotional effort just to do simple tasks. And I find it very, very difficult sometimes to answer and understand some of the nuances in content because it can be difficult for the translation across the remote learning and then what's really unfortunate is because I'm involved in so many extracurricular activities and I learn a lot through outside of the classroom excursions and stuff a lot of them have been cancelled which is kind of disappointing because it means that this last two years of VCE which is really uh, strenuous as it is there's like it's all work and no place and it's hard to keep the momentum to keep studying when it's not that fun <laughs> you don't really enjoy it you don't have those breaks well just taking up on Michaela's point like you know I'm at the other end of the spectrum where I'm trying to organize some of these excursions you organize them and it's so much effort to organize an excursion these days and and they just go down the sink in in two seconds when a lockdown is called so that hasn't been a lot of fun and at the you know because I'm a geography teacher and we're we're wondering well do we even bother organizing them for next term you know but we'll plug away but and see what happens and I just like all these yeah. rites of passages Michaela that you've lost out on like you know Central Australia trips that you can't go on that have been they've tried so many times to rearrange them school yeah. formal mm-hmm. you know that hasn't happened will you have a valedictory dinner will you have the graduations all of those kinds of things that they are they're, they're part of the high school experience that you're missing out on and unfortunately you're in that boat of year 11 and 12 have been impacted for you it's really hard because everyone tells you that like as much as year 12 is hard but it's one of the best experiences you're going to have and your teachers finally treat you as like people rather than tiny little humans which is kind of cool and you can talk to them and you develop these really cool relationships and now you're just not really getting to experience that or experience the fun that is VCE and it's now just all stressful and it's tough it's not fun and it's really hard on your mental health and it's hard to know that you've done all these years of high school and you've had all these experiences and this is kind of how it's ending because it's not really how you envisioned it which is always difficult. Yeah. Is there anything, I know that there's a lot of teachers that listen to this, what is successful for you in remote learning? What are the things that people are doing right or some of the ways that you are getting the teaching and learning that you think, well, that's good, that's positive and it's allowing you to kind of get as the maximum impact? 
while remote? Yeah, uh, well, it's it's different depending on the subject, I guess. But, I mean, obviously you have to go through the content and no one expects the teachers not to do that. But when teachers put in that, like, you can tell the teachers that are putting in the extra effort and giving you resources and looking at things and who ask you how you are, like, personally and all those sorts of things. You can tell the teachers that all teachers care, but those that are putting in that extra effort, and that's always really, really nice. And even having conversations with teachers that aren't, just based on the content and so you actually finding out about them as a person and they find out a bit more about you and that sort of relationship's kind of nice because then you know that you're all in the same boat and they understand because sometimes it feels like teachers aren't understanding and obviously they are but it just doesn't come across and I think mm. the breaks in screen time or doing like a fun activity every now and again or a random question they can always be just nice to break it up and not sitting on the computer all the time sometimes you have to to get through the content but it can be difficult sitting in all in six or seven live lessons that go one after the other. That can be difficult sometimes. Yeah. Oh my God. I know from your perspective, Brent, have you got a blackout? Yeah, the power has just gone out. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it would be you. I knew it would be you. It's just gone oh out again. God. Oh my God. Is, it, is the laptop charged and do you have your hotspot there? My, well, I'm on hotspot at the moment. But my phone is not a good phone. <laughs> I can look at the lights go out. I'm like, oh, God. Um, I thought a kid ready to turn it off. <laughs> that was my wife coming in with a torch. I suppose on the flip side, as you said, Michaela, people not getting it. Brendan and I are on the other side of it. Brendan is homeschooling two children. I have kids that are not of school age and have no concept of the fact that when I'm on my laptop, I'm actually teaching. I'm sure you've seen a number of times, Michaela. <laughs> Spider-Man pop up in the middle of our lessons. You should have seen what they did to my teacher planner today just to keep them quiet. They've scribbled all over it. God knows what. God knows if I can even resurrect it. This is the other side of it too is you've got teachers that really want to be available and there for you that have that life outside that impedes that. How's that been for you, Brendan? Yeah, I found that awful. I mean, I've um, left some classes feeling emotionally drained because I feel like I can't give the feedback I need to sometimes because I just haven't got the time because I've got to go off to my own children. You know, I do, you do have to give yourself some mental downtime, which is actually hard to give yourself at the moment. And I'm finding that I'm not turning off, even on weekends. I'm thinking, all right, what do I have to do? Or how do I have to plan differently? And teachers are doing it knowing full well that it might be the only time they're going to plan in this particular way. Because if everything does go back to normal next year, then it's all for nothing. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, there are elements you can take from what we're doing that, you know, I, I've learned to use technology by far a lot better because of what's happened. But when we go back to normal, mm. um, doing air I don't. Those people in a non-visual medium. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. So, well, I slowed down my voice. <laughs> I said normal, but it's, it's really taxing and you find yourself drained at the end of a day and you don't feel like, well, what have I actually done? But when you think about it, you have been online all day. You've been thinking about assessment. You've been doing assessment. You've been creating content and you're trying to look after your own kids. You're trying to do other normal things like clean your house. It's ridiculous. And on that, I feel like a lot of students understand that and they do sympathize with their teachers. And I know like when your kids have come in occasionally, it's actually breaks it up. We laugh a bit and it's actually nice (laughs) to see that you're a person outside of school. And it's like, wow, she has a life. And that's kind of nice to see. And I think that it's hard on the uh, student and at the same time because we feel bad 
but we're also not going to be the person to turn on our camera and we're not going to be the person to answer the question. And it's that hard dynamic where you're like, I want to help the teacher out, but I'm not going to be that person and I'm not going to put my neck out. So you just kind of let it go. I saw a meme yesterday or the day before where you've got primary school kids on Zoom and all their cameras on like, hey, I've got a banana. Look at my dog. Oh, my shoes come off. Look at my book. Oh, I've got a new haircut. And the teacher's like trying to wrangle them in. And then you've got the high school teacher with all the kids there. And it's like, anyone, anyone, hello, can you please answer me? And someone wrote under the meme, this is not accurate. None of their screens would be on. And it's, yeah. that's exactly what happens is none yeah. of their screens are on. And we were having this conversation the other day, Michaela, mm. when you guys were in little groups, where you and um, another student were saying, sometimes we laugh at the teachers, but we don't want to be the one to turn our mic on to yeah, laugh. Yeah, I'm not going to turn it on just to giggle. So- I'll be laughing a lot and I think it's hilarious and I want to tell the teacher that, but I'm not going to unmute myself. Yeah. This is this hard thing that you sit there and you, it feels so sad when you crack a joke and there's blank screens and all you can hope for is they're laughing with their mics off. And that's why I guess sometimes I'll email teachers and be like, oh, that was really yeah. awesome. Thanks for that. <laughs> or, but <laughs> I'm not going to do that because it's weird yeah. and you don't want to be the person that answers every question. And although sometimes it's seen as okay, it's often not. And it's seen you end up looking like the suck up or the teacher's pet. You just don't want to be labeled oh, so as that. That, yeah. that applies so to just reactions don't as well, Michaela. Because a lot of my... Yeah, even reactions. Yeah, see, I'm, I'm primarily teaching juniors and middle school, but I've got a lot of them when I crack a silly dad joke or something, he'll use reactions to respond, which is sort of nice because you know they're there. Yeah. I've asked them to do that and mm. it makes it more personal, I think. Yeah, something, just some, just some form yeah. of life would be nice. I know that in some classes where we're forced to turn on our cameras, we all like whinge a moment. Once they're, once they're all on, once everyone's done it, it's fine. Mm. But as, until everyone does it, no one's going to do it. What were you saying, Brendan? Well, I was just going to say I asked my class to put their cameras on at one stage and I regretted it because, you know, they were in bed or <laughs> their hair wasn't done and I was just like, no, nah, let's not do that again. Yeah. But. I did it once with my year eights and I gave them 24 hours notice. I said, you have to be dressed. You have to be out of your bed. But the gaming setup my year eight boys have is insane. They've got the gamers chairs. They've got the headsets. It's amazing. Yeah, some of them. So I'm, I'm like, how much work are they doing in that setup? That's no. right. <laughs> well, have you had it? Like the, the worst feeling for me is actually when you finish a live lesson and there's like three or four kids just sitting there and you know they haven't yeah, listened to a word you've said and, and i just sit there and i'm like um guys are you there are you there and then you know two or three minutes later they'll just leave and they'll, and they'll all see each other leave so they leave gradually because i can end the session but i don't to make it awkward for them so they know i know yeah yeah well, they're not just not listening. Sometimes they're falling asleep. I did that in one class. It was very oh awkward gosh. when the teacher yelled at my name. I was like, oh, my gosh, whoops. Oh, my God, don't tell me that with my class. I don't think I've had to do that to you. It wasn't okay, your good. class. But you, oh, but, you can, but you can't go off at her for that because there's six sessions in a day, and if you're looking at the screen continually, like I've thought about nodding off during class and I'm teaching it, like seriously. Yeah. You know? We had that PD recently, that curriculum day where we had to what was like 30 minutes in three different classes, Brendan, remember? And we were moving through and I had like yeah. a legal studies class, a maths class, and an English class. And to be honest, after those three, I was exhausted by having to switch my brain constantly to the next subject. And you do forget how taxing that is to be like, okay, we're into maths now. And okay, let's learn about the map and whatever. It's yeah. like switching, and what's switching even harder, is hard. 
Yes. What's really hard is your teachers go, this is the assignment now, but I'm going to talk for 40 minutes. Now you've got to do it in five minutes. And then you're like, wow, I love that. And so then it's homework. But then they also set homework on top of the homework. Yeah. And you're like, wow, I've got more homework. Yeah, I've been very conscious of that when I've been teaching. I don't let any of my lessons go for more than 20 minutes if I expect some work to be done during that lesson. So they've got time to work on it. And I'm very straight in saying to the students, no, you must you know, use the time you've been allocated for class. And after that... Uh, go to your next class or go off and, you know, do something else that's not on screen. Yeah. Brendan, in an ideal world, how do you like to teach? In an ideal world? Oh, geez. I, I like group teaching. I like students to be working in groups and to be working collaboratively in an ideal world. But that relies on a lot of factors, as you'd know. Um, you need the kids to be cooperative in the first place you need kids that are sort of i guess a bit more extroverted to be in the class so there's not so there are people in those groups who can help to monitor those groups and to get them all working together i like kids to ideally be interested which means you know i have to come across as enthusiastic about what i'm teaching primarily and, and look also adding to that in an ideal world, I'd have class sizes that are a lot smaller so it can be more personable. Smaller class sizes equal getting out, going into detail with concepts and really digging in deep rather than the superficial stuff that we sometimes do as teachers because we're just trying to muddle along and we're catering to a lot of different learning styles. So that's how I see it. And you're involved in a lot of literacy programs. What do you think is the most effective literacy program that you've worked in. Do you want me to name the program? You can if you want to. Yeah, look, look the corrective re look, I've been involved in a few, but corrective reading is certainly a program I highly respect simply because of its simplicity. It's phonics based, it's very directed and there's it's data driven. So you get data probably every second lesson or so, depending on the types of students you're dealing with. And students can see their progress very evidently because of that. And in my time, it's the one program I've seen that's actually made a genuine and big difference. And, a, and speaking anecdotally, I mean, I had parents come back and students come back years later and sort of say that really helped me and got me through school, got me through VCE, which was, you know, a big pat on the back for that particular program. And I haven't had that with so many other programs that are how shall I put it, uh, a lot looser in what they're trying to achieve. Okay. What other subjects do you teach other than the literacy blocks that you, you've been working in? So at the moment, I'm primarily a geography teacher, which is something I adore doing because I think everyone should know more about the planet they're likely going to live on for the rest of their lives. I'm also an English-based teacher, and I'm not teaching English this year, but I do enjoy, enjoy teaching English, but I do sometimes think that the English curriculum has lost its way somewhat in terms of engaging students. Oh, tell me about that. Why do you think it's lost its way? <laughs> you, can't, you can't give me that, mate. Oh, look, it's it really comes down to the fact that everyone's like in in faculties I've been involved with you might be in the same year level teaching but everyone seems to be teaching something different and not focused on particular skills so therefore one teacher might be doing a bang up job and kids are getting awesome skills that they can take on to the year following but another teacher not doing such a good job and there's a really massive difference between what they're what the teachers are teaching which means the following year that there's a lot of mix-up between students, that they're not all given the same opportunities. So that's probably my biggest issue with it. 
And that comes down to organisational failures within the school system, I suppose. Don't get me started on the Department of Education. I mean, there are failures there as well, but I guess it is what it is. It's what we're within. Can you both describe yourself as students? Michaela, I might start with you. What kind of student are you? I don't know. Um, <laughs> I, I'm very keen to learn. I like learning. I enjoy it, which is why one of the reasons why it kind of sucks once you get to VCU because it's no longer about what you enjoy. I mean, depending on what you choose subject-wise, but you're told to choose subjects that are going to boost your ATAR so that you can get into uni. It becomes score-focused instead of learning-focused, which Mm -hmm. is a bit disappointing. But I think I'm very, I'm engaged. I like the content that I'm learning. I try to do my best, perform my best, I guess. I mean, you're my teacher. Orcs, orcs. The main thing is, Michaela, is that I think you learn mostly outside of the classroom. The things that inform you and and you are impassioned by that then make you excited within the classroom tend to be things that are outside. Like we had a very incidental conversation. I think you were actually preparing for an eco team assembly and we were talking about children weren't we? And a lot of kids in our class were saying things like, oh, well, I don't know if I want to have children. I'm not really that fussed about having children. Who really cares? And you were like, there's a big difference between not knowing if you want to have children now and not being able to because of the destruction and the impact that we're continuing to have on our world. And so that was a very incidental conversation we had in English that you got very fired up about. It was more in the sense that some of the students that said that they didn't care so much about their actions and that their actions weren't driven by the consequences that would have for future generations because they weren't going to have kids. And that's something that's really hard for me to hear because the world that we leave is left for other people. And so I want to leave the world the best I can. I don't want to make it worse. And it wasn't that the students said that they wanted to make it worse, but they didn't have that focus. And I thought that that was really hard to hear because I didn't understand it. And it's really hard to understand because, well, I find it very hard to understand because I feel like you'd want to make the world a better place for the next generation coming up. So that was difficult to understand. But yeah, I guess I'm a very passionate person. And I think for me, that's who you are as a student, really. Yeah. That's how I see you as a student is all of these passions that you have outside of the classroom are what drive you. And I think sometimes in English, especially if you can't see why we're doing some of these things, Mm. you'll kind of try and find the connection through a passion yeah that's how I see it anyway I think I'm a pretty passionate person I'm pretty resilient and determined to make a difference so I guess that's kind of me as a student I, I, I like to make it as easy as possible for the teacher for my own learning for people in general I try to do my best at all times and I I'm a little bit of a perfectionist but I'm not I, I'm not at the same time. <laughs> well, I remember because I had you in year seven. Mm-hmm. You're in my year seven English class and then it just so happens I come back from maternity leave and here you are in my year 12 English class. Yes. So it was kind of a nice, I don't know, round circle or something. Mm-hmm. But I remember in year seven you coming up to me and saying, how can I improve my writing? How can I make myself more sophisticated? I was mm-hmm. like, Michaela, relax. It's year seven. You're okay. It's all right. <laughs> so I think there's a bit of that in you too, huh? Yeah, but, I like uh, to, really want to, I like improve. to improve and I like to do the best I can and I I like to grow as a person and I think that there's so much people can grow and people can learn so much and I think education is so important and I think that the more you push yourself, the further you're going to go and I guess that's what drives me. Very good. Brendan, 
Who are you as a student? Because you did your master's not that long ago, so you've been back as a student, well, what, 10 years ago maybe? Oh, eight yeah, years it must ago, be about eight, ten years ago. Yeah, it was eight, nine years, yeah. So how are you as a student? Are we talking recently or are we talking when I was younger? It's a big difference. Start when you were younger. I think Michaela might find that more interesting. Oh, when I, when <laughs> I was younger, I wasn't. Oh, look, from years seven to ten, I was what you'd probably call a, a rascal and in probably year nine, I didn't actually spend a lot of time at school. I jumped the fence. I was a pretty habitual wagger, to be honest. So, but year 11 and 12, I woke up to myself and where I went to school it had a big impact on me because uh, the school I went to was an independent year 11 and 12 school. When I say independent, it was government, but it was only catering to year 11 and 12. So there's about 1,600 students there, just year 11 and 12. And no uniform during your freeze. You could go down the streets. Though they gave you a lot of independence, which I think worked in my favor and I really relished because I felt like I was trusted and didn't do great in VCA, but did well enough to get into university. And that's probably where I really realized, no, I like learning. I really do. And I had a couple of awesome lecturers and made a big difference to me. And uh, yeah, basically just went from there. And then by the time I got to the end of my Bachelor of Arts and thought, geez, am I just going to end up working at McDonald's? A lecturer goes, no, nah, you'd be a really great teacher. So I said, all right, well, why not? I went and did my dip ed, made some awesome yeah. friends there, went into the classroom and I was told I was half decent at it so i sort of thought okay and um yeah the rest is history i suppose but yeah a love of learning certainly fluctuated after that and being in education i think it's important to have some sort of love of learning you know eight nine years ago i decided to go back and do my master's degree in educational management and that was a real eye-opener because you know i like i was working in this system and i was like i really want to understand more about the system and what drives things and what educational leadership is and from that i was like wow i really sort of gained an insight. But as you know, it's been a bit of a, a heartache for me ever since, I suppose. <laughs> Knowing the way things work and the way they do work is a very different thing. Yeah. Yeah. But as a student now, uh, yeah, I absolutely love it. Sorry, what was the question again, Laura? Sorry. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I was asking what kind of student you I did I've got want to, but I, didn't, up. I also need to mention that I have a four-year-old spraying every single one of my perfumes on me. And I've as got I warnings here, coming up. But it's just... Anyway, I'm um, still in the dark. I'm still powerless. Mention... <laughs> this is the most ridiculous. I knew this would be you. I knew this would happen. What I find really interesting, though, is how much pressure we put on our students to get it, to get the importance of education, to to understand why they need to be doing all the things that we've set for right. them. And yet, you didn't get it, Brendan. We're not going to get it tonight. We've just learned that our sorry. We've just learned that our power's not coming back on tonight. <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> cool. That's yep. annoying. Sorry, keep going. <laughs> this is another. Tom has fallen asleep somewhere. I don't know. Where's your dad? He's asleep in Gabe's bed. So Olivia's just calmed down because she's like, whatever. This is so chaotic. <laughs> what I was saying is we put all this pressure on our – please don't spray me with perfume, please. Honestly, I can't. Thank you. It's good. It's good. We have so much pressure on our students to get the importance of education and to understand why our classes are important and to give maximum effort. And yet so many teachers were never those students. Like you're just saying that now that – you didn't get it until you were in year 11 and 12. And honestly, probably you didn't really put as much emphasis into it maybe until you were at university or in your master's. So do you think sometimes we're unfair that we expect students to just find the love of education at this time? Yeah, I do. I think junior education needs to be rethought. I think they need to sort of teach kids how to think, why to think. And I think we need to sort of talk about the importance of education because we do that a fair bit in geography because we look at 
what education looks at like in other countries. I love using um, Malala Yousafzai as a um, an example in terms of someone who, you know, <laughs> fought for her education and ended up paying a pretty ba- a damn big price. But uh, she had to go through Taliban telling her that she couldn't be educated and trying to fight against that and how to give that appreciation for education and that it's not just something that happens. It is something that's, you know, uh, been hard won, I guess, over over many years and it's something that's um, developed in the Western world. How to give that appreciation to a year seven is really hard and I think we need to come up with fun and inventive ways to do that in, in the junior levels rather than when, for example, year sevens come to school in their first weeks, they're all excited and they're like, oh, this is a new environment, it's going to be awesome. And then they're destroyed within a few weeks. It's like, oh, it's just the same, except we go from class to class and, and get talked at. I mean, we've got to move away from that that sort of mentality. And we've got to start saying, no, let's not have English. Let have English embedded into something, but let's have a subject that's all about the love of education and why education is important and why it's important to learn and what, can that, what that can lead to in your future. You know, you're never going to get every kid hooked, but you certainly will grab a few if you sort of make it fun and something different rather than just coming to school and here's maths, here's English. On the students' end, it, it's because sometimes it's hard to find the relevance in what you're learning and finding that connection can be really difficult. And I know, for example, my sister, she had a real love of learning in primary school and then she came to high school and, I mean, you have that imaginary high school dream based on the movies you see and you're like, oh, it's going to be awesome. It's going to be like high school musical, even though obviously it's not. And then you come in and it's nowhere near. It's it's just not the same. And for students who aren't willing to seek out those opportunities and aren't proactive in doing that, it's kind of crappy it's not very fun (laughs) and I think that with that and because you can't find the relevance and because it's not as fun it's really hard to keep going and doing those things and finding why it's important because you go well why am I doing it there's like a saying that goes around that the years that are important for school is year six and year 11 and 12 and no other years are important so you're just like what's the point And that's really difficult. Well, I had an interview with someone. She's a head of English in an independent school and they're currently trialling like it's communication. So they don't do English. I think it's year eight or year nine. And so what they do is you, you choose whatever communication method you're interested in. So there's a lot of background work in terms of like how you create a podcast maybe or how you write copy or how you set up a Instagram social media profile or how you do websites or blogging or whatever because the thing is I think it's very antiquated that we teach analytical writing pretty much exclusively there's a few little creative things in here but it's like poetry or it's a genre study like what about blogging what about website development and so what they've done is they've got five or six different communication methods that you learn and then based on whatever you want to communicate, that's your assessment, that's your assignment and the teacher then becomes a facilitator to work with you. And I think that would be better. Like what if you could actually choose the mode of communication that you wanted to refine and then you had a product at the end of it rather than here's a book we all have to learn and you have to do this analytical writing that no one cares about. And I also think that that's really cool in years like year seven and eight that are important but they're not as 
like you're not being marked based on the specific mark that you can get, but you can develop those skills without realizing you're develop- developing them. And when you can trick kids into learning things, I think that's always the best way to do it. <laughs> I know like in year nine, we got to choose, there was like a creative unit. We got to choose either to do a blog or a persuasive speech or a video or a story or whatever we wanted to. And it was so cool because everyone chose what they were passionate about and what they yeah. wanted to learn. And when kids have something that they can I just add choose, there, like, it's more fun. What I found really difficult in my teaching is the school I started at, which is, what, over 20 years ago now, did it the best. And this is what's really hard for a teacher sometimes. You move from one school where they did it well to another school. Mm-hmm. But the first school I was at had theme-based units in the English area. So theme-based meant that you could look at movies in one particular subject or another subject might have been, actually, they had one that was based around primary schools and and developing units to take to primary schools and work with primary school kids. And there was another one that was all about mystery. There was another one about comedy. There was another one about um, science fiction. And it really catered to the interests that students had. And so it wasn't so much specific streaming. It was certainly streaming, but it was streaming to interests rather than to skill level. And you found that when you taught those classes, typically speaking, most kids in there wanted to be there and were more interested in what they were doing. And that that's sad to me because that's the only school I've seen do it. And I thought that when I came into teaching, I thought, oh, this is pretty normal. This is this makes sense. And then I went to other schools. I'm like, uh, this is crap. <laughs> you know, it's not an issue. Have you found in your classes though that students are during six that they're a bit more talkative? Because I found that in my classes. Yeah, in some of them, my site class, everyone answers questions, which is kind of cool. Yeah. It's kind of a vibe. That's kind of fun. My math class have always been really talkative because we've been together for yep. four years because we were in the accelerator math class. My further class, we don't really do live lessons, and if when we do, they're only like ten minutes long. So we don't really talk much on there. Occasionally yep. people will chat on the chat box, which is kind of interesting, like Teams channel. And then my English class, sometimes, depending on the day, it depends on everyone's But we mood. also have split doubles. Yeah. Like we've got a Thursday morning, which I get the most out of mm-hmm. them. Then I have a five and a six on a Friday. Yeah, I've got five and six on I'm Friday like, classes. That's just stupid. <laughs> you just can't. Like I just literally am like 10 minutes of a lab. I'm like, bye. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> do it now if you want, otherwise do it on the weekend because you're never going to get anything out of it. And it depends on the weather too. Have you noticed yeah. that? If it's a sunny day outside, just like yeah. go, get out. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I, I'm, I'm finding, I was just yeah. saying to Michaela that during 6.0, I've found kids, and you know me, kids are wanting to talk to me. And that's, to talk to me, kids find that's difficult sometimes because of my size. But that's because... You're not as scary online because one, you can't do anything. Oh no, 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 that's and not true. Two, you're that's also, not true. I've, I've, I've threatened if they do anything, state, I will get them when we get back to school. <laughs> but they don't realize that. <laughs> and then also, you're like funny online because you're kind of in like a chill. You're kind of like I just don't care, guys. And so that's kind of a nice approach state to be in. It's like a nice way to go into the conversation. Yeah, I have to admit there is a bit of I don't care, but I'm a bit like that in class too. You know, in- interestingly, yeah. Michaela has never had me. As a teacher, yeah, I feel like maybe that's a good thing. Yeah, that you're only together on the Enviro team. We have great band. But I've taught both out. of her siblings. How hilarious is that? <laughs> I'm definitely the best one. There you go. I'm trying to think of where I was up to with you. Oh, uh, what, what uh, were you talking about? We were... That's. I, I'm going to ask you this question. This is this is my live. This is what my kids do to me on my live. Seriously, <laughs> it's actually really funny. And then we have Spider Man running. Spider Man's asleep. Brendan, what do you want to impart on your students by the end of their time with you? A greater understanding of the world. There's no doubt about that. It doesn't matter whether it's from year seven through to teaching year 12. I just hope to impart good understanding and genuine understanding of whatever I'm teaching. So 
to try and get them to understand that it could potentially have an impact on their lives or other people's lives to make them understand the bigger picture, I suppose. I certainly don't like the idea of kids just going, this is flippant, which is really hard in geography because in geography, you teach massive concepts. And so, for example, we teach water in year seven, and we're, we're supposed to give like four or five weeks to that at most. And for you know those listening, we've got three periods a week at most if things don't get interrupted, which they will. So you're, you're teaching massive concepts and you don't get the time for it. And also in geography, you get one semester. And that's a lot better than any other school I've been at, I have to say, as well, where we, at this particular school I'm at, we... Um, concentrate on geography geography is a subject whereas at other schools it's it's called SOS studies of society and environment and it's not often genuine and it depends very much on what the teacher is trained in as to what the students get taught because I've been at a school where it was called SOS and geography was pretty much ignored except for maybe doing one map in an entire year and history was concentrated on and I thought Jesus how unbalanced is that and how biased is that and how unfair to the students is that? So you've got kids who are leaving school who don't know the first thing about the world. You know, it's it's a really con- a really big concern for me. But in terms of imparting what I can, I do what I can with what I've got, and I try to make every topic as um, relevant to the kids as I can, which is, as you know, very hard in a classroom environment when you're teaching mm-hmm. geography. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and with with certain yeah. curriculum restrictions, I suppose, and and Restra- mandates. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, that's not such a problem at seven to... Actually, no, interestingly, in geography, the most fun I've had is in year 11 and 12 and absolutely loved it because the kids that were there really wanted to be there and the topics in year 12 geography are fantastic at the moment. So, yeah, it just depends. But there are restrictions, of course, and that, does, you know, there's uh, certainly um, pressures on your time and, and how you have to allocate things. But Year 12 students are typically up for um, better conversations and uh, more in-depth work, I suppose. Let's go on to the Enviro team, which is ultimately why I wanted you both here. I want to hear about your passion for the environment and where that's come from. Michaela, I might start with you. I've always thought about the environment. Like in primary school, we had topics where we did tiny bits and stuff, but I didn't really know anything. We never really covered in, in any depth. And then I came to... Uh, year seven and at an assembly the eco team showed that they went on a dolphin dive and I was like I want to do that and so I joined the eco team with the whole idea of doing that haven't done that yeah we can do that now can't we yeah we didn't see dolphins anyway <laughs> and then I got overwhelmed by it and I learned all this science and I was like wow our planet has got some problems and we've, this is actually of concern and then as I developed and learnt and then got more opportunity to speak about it, I got more passionate about it and I learnt more because I did research based on things and I mentioned to us, I was like, oh, that's really fascinating and I did my own research because I found it really fascinating and interesting. And then I got put in the role of the president of the eco team and from there we've also seen more and more science of climate change becoming more of a dire threat, especially after the Recently, the IPCC report coming out saying that we're going to have to do more and we're going to face the consequences 10 to 20 years earlier than expected. And I think in our generation, as 
the climate science has become more in the media and uh, we've heard more of it and we're hearing more of the dire consequences that my generation is going to face in our futures. It becomes this issue where we're all actually got like this climate anxiety. I get overwhelmed and with and anxious and really, really nervous about it and you kind of feel hopeless and you're sitting there and you're like, I don't know what to do, but I don't want to live in a world where I can't have kids. I don't want to live in a world where... I have to be careful going outside and I'm facing all these natural disasters and we're losing animals and species and it's really scary to think that that's the world we're being left with when we weren't the ones that necessarily caused the problem and it's big leaders and stuff and they're not taking the action that's needed and they're not listening to us and that's really, really frustrating. And I think having that overwhelming dread and anxiety for that stems my passion because I don't want to live in that world. I want to fight for a world in which I'm going to be happy to live in and enjoy living in. And through the opportunities in the eco team, I've learned so much and I've gotten to uh, have that voice. Brendan's given me that voice, which is really awesome. What are some of the big goals in the eco team, Brendan? What do you want to achieve? Oh, from from my point of view, I mean, I, I try to uh, give it to the kids in terms of what they want to achieve. But I guess primarily, uh, primarily over the last few years, it's 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 become about education because yeah, I mean, you see that as the main problem. Like you've got skeptics out there, you've got people that don't understand what's going on, you've got people that feel overwhelmed, and I guess you need to get the information out there, you know, and not only the information about the science. I, I think a lot of people agree that that's happening now. I think it's more about there are solutions and we need to get more of that information out there and, and we need the right people speaking to people, which is where this stuff came with, you know, because Michaela does quite a few interviews and she's interviewed Professor Howden, which is probably one of her most impressive interviews. And Professor Howden is the chair of the IPCC report. He's an Australian professor and he's, I guess, at the top of his game and he knows exactly what's going on. And when you hear someone like him speak, it, it takes on a whole new meaning. And, and it's sort of, you know, rather than reading a book, and I'm sure it was pretty pivotal for Michaela as well to be speaking directly to somebody like that. And, you know, to, you know this person is extremely knowledgeable. It's his area of expertise. And when he says, no, nah, we need to do something, we need to do it fast, you sort of listen. So Brendan has just mentioned yeah. these interviews, Michaela, that you're doing and very, very impressive people that you've had on. So talk to me about some of the notable people that you've interviewed and what you've kind of learnt from this process? Oh, it's been really awesome. I've spoken to Damon Gamow, who's the director of 2040, which is a film all about solutions and what the world could look like if we implemented them by 2040. It's a really good uh, movie. Recommend it. I've interviewed Costa Giorgiadis from Gardening Australia, Tim Costello, he was really cool, Sammy J, who's just a normal, com- well, normal guy. He's a comedian on the ABC Breakfast morning show. But having people that aren't necessarily necessarily uh, known for being environmentalists I found they were really cool with um, and good at captivating audiences because people were interested in hearing from celebrities that they liked and people that they didn't expect to care who they realized do care and I think it's it's been a really awesome platform to engage more people on uh, the science and to get people to actually start listening to these conversations I recently interviewed Kerry O'Brien, which is coming out soon, which will be really cool. He was really awesome. And Professor Howden was another one, as Mr. McKinnon said. And I've interviewed heaps of people. There's so many. And it's just You've got to mention so Dr. Awesome. Joel Pedro. Yeah, I've interviewed Dr. Joel Pedro, who is the leading scientist on the Million Year Ice Core Project. And hearing some of the stuff that he's doing is incredible. And so we've had people who are 
in the middle of climate science and doing things actively for it. And then we've also had people that just normal everyday Joes <laughs> have just been talking about their views. And I think it's a really cool way to get a whole range of different perspectives and to show that everyone, it's important. It is really important to have everyone listen and care because it's our futures. How easy has it been to get some of these people in to talk to you? Because you're talking about people with really big profiles, presumably very busy, doing a lot of big things. And here they are talking to you, a year 12 student at a secondary school in Melbourne. So how easy has that process been for you to get these people on? It hasn't been easy at all. We get a lot of no's. Brendan emails about six people and I'll email about four people. And most of them will come back with a no or they won't reply at all, which is really fun. (laughs) And then it becomes really difficult and we just kind of keep pestering. I mean, we got a response from Jacinda Ardern. It was a no, but we did get a response, which is kind of cool. Well done. Uh, But, yeah, you just have to be willing to get the no, I guess. We we also got a no from Scott Morrison, but he did reply. I got a no from Kristen Bell and Dax Shepard. But I got a no. That was kind of cool. Yeah. I remember you saying that. I remember you saying that. You're like, at least they wrote back to me. It's like, oh, yeah. They're doing the whole eco like bar thing, aren't they? Like different mm-hmm. products. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. What has been one of the things that's really opened your eyes to the dire situation we're actually in? Well, finding out that by 2040, a lot of us will have to use assisted reproduction uh, and have inf- infertility issues due to the chemicals and plastics is really scary. I, d- I don't know if I want children, but if. I don't have a choice. That's really hard, as we mentioned earlier. Mm. And I don't think that that's overly fair. And I think that that's really hard to hear. And it means that we're going to be missing out on different opportunities that are normally expected as you get older. Having a family is something that everyone just kind of you expect to do. And if you can't do that, that's really, really hard. I think hearing about the increase in droughts and bushfires and knowing that that's going to happen in your own backyard is really scary. And and it's hard to hear and see the devastation that is going to happen to our planet and to the animals facing our planet because we've only got one and the thing that everyone says is save the planet and whilst we definitely need to save the planet because you want to save the animals on it and the habitats and the environment it's you need to save the humans where that's what we're doing and as much as I think it's so important to save animals at the end of the day if we murdered our planet you'd kill all the uh, animals including us and the earth would be left sitting there and it would be it would revegetate and then have new animals and new life eventually. But at the end of the day, everything on it would be dead. So that's really really scary mm. to think about, and it's really hard. And seeing there was a video by National Geographic about I think it was about three years ago of an emaciated polar bear walking, and it, it you should never see a polar bear polar bear like that. It looked anorexic, I and mean, it was eating rubbish. And knowing that we had impact of the planet that severely is really really shocking Mm. and that shouldn't shouldn't happen yeah you mentioned before about climate anxiety and one of our staff meetings where you as the eco team presented I think Brendan you were speaking about this this climate anxiety that people are kind of so anxious about how much has been done and how much needs to be done that we kind of just do nothing Mm -hmm. and I think you were really good actually Brendan at speaking to people on just making little changes, things that you can do that don't feel overwhelming. Could you share some of those changes now? It goes from little to big, but in terms of changes at home, composting, I mean, the old faithful is is one of the best ones in terms of reducing food waste that goes to landfill. 
I mean, from uh, from my point of view, I'm, look, I'm a bit of a gardener. That's no surprise, I suppose. But those nutrients can go back straight into your own backyard soil. So, you know, that's a no-brainer for me. Just making sure that your devices at home are energy efficient. I mean, that's a no-brainer as well. I mean, everyone goes, oh, I'll just change the light bulb. And we've changed them a few times now. We've gone from the old incandescence to the... Um, to the fluorescent and now to LEDs. That's certainly an energy-saving device. Putting, I mean, solar panels on your home if you can, even though we're going to have changes in our state if the government gets their way and we're going to have to pay a bit more into the grid. But that's, you know, that's certainly the direction we need to head in. You're moving away from plastic in whatever way you can. I mean, I use glass bowls instead of plastic bowls. Uh, that has health benefits as well. And I've talked to you about that before, Laura. So, uh, I'm in big trouble all the time when I turn up with plastic and things. And it's like, Laura, how many times? Like, I know, I feel, I do feel bad. And I make some changes. And, I mean, that's, that's probably the hardest thing for me. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm having debates with, um, you know, trained science teachers at school. I'm not, I'm not targeting you, but, you targeting. know, the science. The, the science is in. I mean, uh, if you put um, plastic in a microwave, that plastic is absorbed by the food and and then eventually absorbed by the person eating it. And and just getting away from plastic is not such a hard thing to do. It's just this mentality of being able to throw things away. But there's what other? There's numerous things. Just making sure that you do turn things off at the switch rather than just leaving them on standby, of course, is an, is an old favourite. But the, the new thing I like to talk about is just you have to actually vote the right way. You have to, and I'm not talking about voting for one particular party over another. I'm talking about people getting getting to know their local politician because it doesn't matter whether they're liberal label labor or green or independent um, you can have a liberal who is very much an advocate for climate change but if the rest of their party is fighting against them that makes it hard for them but you can certainly have a liberal who is very pro environment which i've known and you can have a, a labor person who is like got no idea and i would much prefer to vote for that liberal person any day but the problem is that people aren't understanding their local politicians and don't understand politics and are, are doing what's called voting tribally. And that means they're voting for the politicians that their dads or their mums or other people in their family have always voted for. And so we're getting the wrong people in and we're not getting the action we really need. So understanding a little bit about politics, not everything, but a little bit about the people that represent your area would make probably one of the biggest differences in terms of changing policies because I think people feel so guilty sometimes for going to the supermarket and, and buying plastic, but they shouldn't because that's what they can do. That's the only opportunity they've got. But if policies changed and companies were put into a position where they were given incentives to make changes, which is currently not happening to a, a significant degree, we would see massive change happen. So I sort of think it's more of a political thing than anything else. I'm, I mean, yes, little things do make a difference. There's no doubt about that. But I think the littlest things you can do that would make the biggest change and have the most bang for the buck is to understand your local politicians and vote the right ones in. Well, I think this lockdown has shown us the importance of understanding who our leaders are and where we're placing oh, yeah. our power. I mean, that's the biggest thing. I And it's going to make me sound really ignorant, but I had no idea how much power premiers and the state government had. And look at what's happening. I mean, Scott Morrison's saying one thing and then the state governments are saying, no, we're not doing that. And so even this exercise of 200 days of lockdown, I think has shown us the importance of really knowing who you vote for. Yep. 
and and politicians have this habit of saying yes to everyone and and you know holding the baby and that sort of thing and people have got to look beyond that and they've got to look beyond one particular issue they've got to look at the significant issues and they've got to go all right I need to make a change to the way I vote based on not just one particular thing that's upset me, but on a range of things that are going to impact us in the future. I mean, long-term thinking needs to be the new way of thinking, I think. Yeah. I think in terms of a lot of the school teams that we have at the school that we all attend and work at, I think the eco team for me is probably one of the best at authentic student agency and supporting student voice. So, Michaela, I might throw it to you because I know that you are in a number of different committees and teams and student ad- advocacy groups. Maybe I'll say it like that. She's <laughs> oh, <just> back. <laughs> Hello. Oh, I've been waiting. I'm- I know you've been waiting. I've only got three months to go. You can no. just wait with me. Just wait with me. Waiting. I'm there for what, for minutes, for 100 minutes. You've been waiting there for 100 oh, minutes. 100, that's a lot of minutes. 100 minutes. minutes. Okay, you can sit with me. Just sit with me and just be quiet and then I'll take you to bed because I've only got three questions to go. Let's talk about Brendan who runs the eco team. How does he do that? How does he ensure that student voice really is at the heart of that team? I find because, I, as you said, I am involved in a lot of teams and I think there's a couple other teams that do a good job within the school and there's a couple other teams that don't. But I think... What Brendan does really well is he listens to us and anything that we do is because the students were passionate about doing and he also doesn't do it for us. So if we want to do something, he'll guide us in that and show us how to do it, but he doesn't tell us that we have to do it and he doesn't force us to do anything and we only do it if we want to. So if he set up an interview and I didn't want to do it and no one else wanted to do it, it wouldn't happen. He doesn't put any of that pressure on us and I think what's really cool is because in my presidency role, he's given me the freedom to talk to him freely. Um, I can communicate to him without worry of how he's going to respond to that and it's a mutual conversation rather than a conversation with someone who is more superior than the other person and I think that's the same with the whole team. We don't put out our hands when we want to contribute, we just talk and we express our opinions on different things and some of them are differing views and that's really cool because we can have that debate and that conversation and understand where we're all coming from and I think Brendan has done a really good job of opening that up so that we all feel comfortable. It's a safe space in which we can lead activities and events and projects by us leading it. I sometimes run meetings and that's really awesome. Last year I ran almost all of them. This year not so much, but that's because of my year 12 schedule and things. Mm. But I still have that freedom to contribute in those meetings as much as I want to contribute. And with some of the projects that were done, like the Sustainable Recycling Hub, we ran that together with the single-use plastic bin. We're the ones that are organising the posters and doing those posters and we're the ones facilitating the discussions and talking to the staff. And I think that that's really awesome because he's given us a voice. Mm, I agree. And it's so interesting that they're talking at the moment, there's a lot of things in the Herald Sun, which I probably shouldn't be reading to be fair, but my dad sends me the articles about the new curriculum that's coming out. <laughs> Brendan's shaking his head at me. New curriculum that they're trying to develop and there's so many people coming out saying it's indoctrination and we shouldn't be teaching these things. And I don't know one teacher that I teach with that tells students what to think at all. I don't know one and this is a perfect example, you know, these are things that we're passionate about together. But, I mean, Student Voice is all about empowering students to think for themselves and to bring the information to the table and to work out what the best mode of moving forward is. And I think you're right. I think Brendan is excellent at doing that. Yeah, and I think it's about finding that balance. 
Because I've also been in groups where the teachers just go, go. And we're like, ah! <laughs> so I think it's finding that balance of guiding but not taking over and allowing it to still be student-led. Yeah. What do you think about that, Brendan? That's kind of nice. Yeah, it is really nice. Thank you, Michaela. I mean, I mean, I do try hard to be like that. I'm, you know, quite often students will ask me what my opinion is. And the first response is, no, I want you to form your own. I don't want to give my feedback. And I think, I think you're right, Laura. I think most teachers I know are very much like that and are very, very worried about giving their opinion. And, and we're almost trained not to do it because you want them to, you want students to think for themselves. You want them to develop their own abilities in finding out what's right and what's wrong. I mean, teachers aren't there to be judges. We, I think we are there to be guides and to guide them in the best way we possibly can. I mean, that's, I mean, I think Michaela said it really wonderfully. So yeah. Last two questions. I might start with you, Brendan, actually. If you could wave a magic wand and you could change the education system, how would you change it? (laughs) Oh my God. That's a massive question. I could talk all night about that one. (laughs) Um, What would be the first thing I would do? I'd make me the head of everything. (laughs) No, no, no. No, look, there are you know there are lots of good things about the system, but there are certainly things that need to be fixed. But one of the ones is that you know class sizes are too big for for teachers to realistically teach as authentically as they possibly could. Schools are definitely under resourced. I think that students should be taken out of the classroom more. I think that we are locking them down a bit like a, a prison sometimes and. You know, uh, I mean, you look overseas to places like Finland where, you know, they finish the school day at one o'clock and they go off into the community and and develop their pupils that way. I think that's a beautiful system. It's just that uh, we're so entrenched in the West that we can't get our heads away around doing it a different way. Mm -hmm. So that's what I'd love to say. I'd love to see more community access and even community coming into schools Mm -hmm. and doing more with students and teaching students more. I mean, we've also got hang-ups about that in our society because, you know, we need a police check for every other thing. But in places like, um, I know in Rotterdam, because I had friends teaching over there, that um, the school trusted teachers. If you were hired as a teacher, you were entrusted to these students and you could just walk out of the school if you wanted to, to teach them something. You could bring someone in and because you were the teacher, you were trusted to make sure that that person was appropriate to speak in front of the students. We do need a bit more of that. I think the balance has been lost. Of course, you always need accountability and, and, and checks, but I think it's probably gone too far to the right and we need to have a, to gain a bit more balance back. Technology probably needs to also see find a bit more of a balance. We need to do more in terms of teaching students about how to, I don't know, incorporate social media into their lives without letting it overtake their lives. We need to do more about online bullying. I think that's probably more of a, a government thing though. They need to really make sure that people who do bully online and troll online are, are held to account in some way. Geez, what else could I, I, I mean, that's, I could go on. I really could, but I think that's a big enough answer for now. Yeah. What about you, Michaela? How do you think school could be better for you? Well, uh, there's lots, as Miss Brendan has said. I like all those ones. But for me personally, I think that if I could wave a magic wand, I'd get everyone a private tutor because I think that would be really good. That's like magic. But realistically, what I think should be fixed is the VCE system with the ATARs, which I know you have to have a communal way to set everyone and rank them all so that they can get into uni, but having it so that you have one exam at the end of the year and it's your whole score, not your whole score, but 60% of your score, which is a lot of it based on how you perform on one day under exam conditions in which a lot of students 
don't thrive under exam conditions. Most students I find don't. And I think that that's a really terrible way to rank everyone. And I think that system needs to be changed. I don't know what you'd do, but I don't think it should be based on an exam and how you perform on one day. Even if you split it to two exams, I also still don't think that that solves any issues. I don't think exams are a great way to test knowledge. It's testing memorization. And the fact that you have to do a whole year's worth of knowledge in one exam and memorize all of it, you don't even have to do that at uni. So that's kind of frustrating in itself. And I think that should be fixed. I think that there should be more of a focus on mental health and well-being. And I know that some schools do it really well, especially uh, as of a school of such size. Sometimes you get lost and, and what can happen is because there's so many students, there's not a focus on that student. It's like, well, we lost one, we'll get another one. That sort of attitude, that mentality. And I don't think that's very good at all. I also think that student voice and agency can be improved everywhere. I think having students in discussions about curriculum, even past students, that could be really cool. Focusing on more depth in curriculums rather than breadth. There's a lot of times, especially in the VCE subjects, where you're learning so much content and you're not going into any depth with it, but it's also too much content to fit in the year and you're going right up until the exams learning content but also expected to memorise it all. And I think that there's a lot of flaws in that sense. And so, yeah, uh, there's more, but I'll stop there. (laughs) But it was funny because I think in one of the forms that I gave you guys in year 12, I asked you two questions. Like one of them was, what's something you've learned this year that you think I will never, ever use ever again? And what's something that you think is really valuable? And most people had so much to say about that content that they're like, there's so much that I know I'll need to use on that exam, but I will never use again. And there's so many things that I remember doing at school that I'm like, and I still don't know them. I still don't use them. Well, I, did, you know? I did legal studies last year and I loved it, but I learned all the dot points and 66 of the dot points weren't even on the exam. That was very frustrating learning all that and not even being tested on it. Yeah. yeah. And, well, I think that's the whole point, isn't it? The, we're, we're deciding. We're deciding as educators and as a department what you should know. And, you know, I don't actually think... I think you need students in the conversation. To be honest, Brendan, I don't know if you feel this, but I feel sometimes just out of touch. You know, like with what's going on in your world, Michaela, I didn't have social media. I didn't have the technology at my fingertips the way that you do. This world is so different to the one that I grew up in and I'm trying to keep up with you guys. And so who am I as an expert to tell you what you need to know? I'm, I wouldn't put myself as in that position at all. Yeah, definitely. It, it is really weird because we have immediate co- communication and we can Google anything around the whole world and have it immediately at our fingertips. And and come, it's good things, but it also comes with negatives of hearing false things and being overwhelmed with everything that's happening in the world. You just find out every bad thing and after a while you're just like, what, what good is there? Mm. And um. You search for it and you find it, but it's that struggle of not having so much information at you. It's like a system overload. I was just going to say um, what this generation is, is really fighting against is algorithms. And alg- like they think they're looking up news that they want to look up, but what they're looking up is a computer program that's decided what they should look at. And that's what scares me the most, you know, because I'm from a generation and you're not too dissimilar where when we were really young, there was no internet, there was none of this, you know, social media stuff. And then we've also grown up in a generation to see it rise. And Mm -hmm. algorithms are what really scare me is because people, they might like a few things and then that's all they're exposed to, which is breeding extremism. Sometimes people don't even realize they're becoming extreme in in one perspective or another. And that's... um, Well, it's also... Yep, keep going, yep. It's also to the point 
of when, like, I was a kid, obviously I was in that generation where technology was becoming more accessible. I didn't have a phone until I was 13 and in high school because my mum didn't want me to, but also it wasn't as common. Not everyone had it. Whereas a, cu- a couple of years younger than me, all of them grow up from the age of 10 on social media and the change in them as and the mental health issues that have arisen from that is insane because they've all they've done is think about what everyone's thinking about me what like how many likes I got where I sit with everyone else what I look like right now there's so many issues that are coming from that and it's so detriment I'm so lucky that I when I grew up that wasn't something we thought about i was a weird kid yeah. i came to school with six ponytails in my head and i wasn't worried about I remember someone that. taking a picture i remember that i didn't really care what i looked like <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it, it's it's an interesting world but what what's new it's that's not new michaela it's not new that people are picked on what's new is that they can't escape it so they go home and no, they yeah, can't escape and, it and that's They've been immersed from it from such a young age too that it's causing all these underlying issues that I don't, I don't know what you do. Yeah. And I think that it's to a detriment to a fault. I don't think that we should be on social media until mm. we're older, but that's the world that we're living in now. And the fact that they have, it's now instead of telling kids not to do it because obviously they are going to, you're in a generation where everyone is, you're not going to be the outcast. I think it's learning how to use it and how to manage yeah. it better. And I think that's what schools aren't doing so well because we're not seeing the resilience i mean bringing one police officer in a year mm. to speak to students about it is not good enough you need to have real genuine lessons in it and what happens if a kid misses that particular day you know so it, it's a real issue yeah well i think it needs to be embedded in the curriculum and i think to be honest i think s- schools are scared to touch it they're too scared yep. because of the reality of what's actually going on on social media and you know admitting i, I think Admitting that you have a social media presence or something as a teacher is a scary thing to do as well because you're told for for so many years that you can't be human almost. You can't yes. have a life outside. Well, we, we were in one of those staff meetings, Brendan, many, many years ago about having a profile and things and, and making sure that students never found you. And I think the conversation yep. now is more, well, what are you doing online? How do I use my social media? Because the reality is most teachers do have, but maybe our opportunities to talk about how we're using it sensibly rather than to pretend mm. that we don't know what it is and we don't use it because that's that's yeah. unrealistic too. Actually, can I bring up a really major point is I think schools are too slow to respond and totally. they need to – I've, I've always argued that schools yeah. – Yeah, and they're, and they're 10 years behind the eight ball. And I think they should be one of the most proactive organisations on the planet, but we're seeing them as reactive and they're way behind and there should be, I mean, this is what the Department of Education should be concentrating on. What do we need to give and how do we get it there really quickly? Well, teachers, I think, and school systems should be more progressive. They definitely are behind. But I don't think people realise the influence that school does have on on a student. I'm at school for six hours a day. The people that I'm learning from and role modelling and interacting with are my teachers. They have more of an influence on me than sometimes my parents. I only see them after school and those sorts of things. And so I think that it's really fundamental for teachers to understand that, that they do have such a big influence on how we are as people, what we think and what we view. And even if we don't seem like we're engaged, we do think about it later on outside of the classroom. We're like, oh, maybe they said something maybe interesting. Yeah. And I think I think teachers need to, every adult needs to take a step back. And it's, it's like we forget 
what school was like. I really do think people need yeah. to sometimes just take a break and go, oh, geez, I remember what that was like. And that's what I tend to do in the classroom. If ever I, th- I think, why am I yelling? What's the point of that? That kid is just going to get a bad memory from that. They're just going to, and I do yell. Don't get me wrong. I'm well known for it. But I tend to do it in a humorous sort of way to diffuse situations, if you know yeah. what I mean. I don't yell at kids for to be mean. I yell at them to maybe get attention and they think it's a bit funny, that sort of thing. But yeah, we, we said we sort of some people tend to forget what it was like to be a kid. And if you if we had more people putting themselves in that position, I think it would make a real difference. Or having more students at the table to yeah. remind us of what yep. that is. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Exactly right. All right, last question. Greatest lessons you've ever learnt, life lessons. Brendan, you can start us off. Big life lessons. Perseverance. You need perseverance. If you don't have perseverance, you've got nothing else. You know, you can, I'm, I'm reflecting on, you know, the, this whole ex- existential crisis of climate change. I'm certainly, I was certainly not brought up to be a massive environmentalist. I was certainly not raised in that way at all. It's something that I've learnt and I just, I looked at the science and went, geez, we really do need to do something. You can get bogged down in it. You can get really depressed by it. And I've just chosen that. I'll just persevere and do the best I can. So I think I think perseverance is definitely a, a life lesson. And just to care about and focus on those ones around you because you can't look you can't focus on everything all at once. There you go. What about you, Michaela? Big life lesson of your nearly eight eighteen? Are you eighteen yet? Eighteen, I am okay, eighteen. Okay, eighteen years. My, my little life experience. <laughs> I guess don't be afraid of the no. I, I think it's really important to put yourself out there, ask questions. The worst that's going to happen is you're going to get told no, but if you don't ask, you face that regret of not asking and not knowing what the outcome could have been. The best outcome is you get yes, and that's awesome. And I think that it's important to go for those opportunities. And, I mean, sometimes I go for too many opportunities, but I enjoy it. But I think try everything. And I think by immersing yourself in more uh, extracurricular activities or more passions or finding out more things you learn more about yourself and you allow yourself to grow as a person and I think that's really really important and to deal with those stresses uh, don't uh, how do you eat an elephant you eat it one bite at a time that's something my mum always taught me and that's pretty good <laughs> I like that <laughs> well, that's a very visual thing <laughs> thank you so much this has been my daughter is unplugging my microphone Olivia um, this has been just you know what? I'm actually probably going to leave some of this in because it's been <laughs> chaotic. chaos that is remote learning. This is our lives in remote learning is just trying to get through the day. Can I just <laughs> say one thing, made though? some sense. Can I say one more thing? Please. Just in terms of how brave Michaela is, Michaela interviewed Kerry O'Brien recently, who's, you know, 75 years of age, has, is one of Australia's most senior political reporters. And how does she start off the interview? She goes, oh, don't worry, I'm not going to grill you too much. <laughs> And this is a and this is a man who's interviewed Nelson Mandela, Barack Obama, the probably the last all of the prime ministers in Australia for the last three decades, and that's how Michaela starts off. Goes, Don't worry, me I won't, too. I won't it just kind of came out. I was very, oh, very it, it, nervous. It, it, it was very funny, Michaela. Actually, that was, that's the most nervous I've ever seen, Michaela. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really hard to make Michaela nervous, but he did. Well, thank you again, as I said, and hopefully I get to see you all face to face very soon hopefully (laughs) crossing my fingers (laughs) thank you for having us